We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 25th. I'm Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I'm going to call a little bit of an audible today. We were going to jump back into our position previews, but uh, it is finals week for Vince at his high school, so his schedule got thrown off a little bit, so he's actually going to be with us on Wednesday and Thursday instead of Tuesday and Wednesday this week. So I decided instead of me doing a position preview again, I would talk about a topic that came up recently due to a CBS sports article that ranked Brian Kelly as the fifth best head coach in college football. Of course, that anytime this conversation comes up, it draws two completely different conversations, which is one, he's super underrated. People are hating on Notre Dame. He should be third. Uh, Notre Dame is so much harder to win at Notre Dame than it is anywhere else. That's one extreme. Then the other extreme is he doesn't have any national titles. He doesn't win the big game, et cetera, et cetera, with zero context as far as how that relates to other coaches. And I had somebody tell me that he shouldn't even be a top 10 coach, which I found kind of absurd. So this is always a fun conversation. And so what I want to do, and then what came up as part of that conversation was somebody made the comment that Kelly's not even a top five coach at Notre Dame. Well, my first thought was, well, who'd you put ahead of them? And and not from a questioning, but li- literally just wondering. Because you go back and you look at, obviously, there's the big names, but then there's other guys who maybe didn't have longevity but had a lot of success in their period of time. So we're going to first address Brian Kelly versus the rest of the college football coaches and where he should rank right now. 
and then I'll give my criteria, and then we'll kind of dive into where does Brian Kelly stack up among the all-time greats at Notre Dame. When we get to that part, I'm definitely going to want your feedback on that. Uh, and then what does he have to do to sort of jump up, or is there anything he can do to jump up from where from where he is right now? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing I want to talk about is Brian Kelly's ranking amongst college football coaches. Now, we talked about this a about a month or two ago, a couple months ago, when The Athletic, uh, Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel released their top 25s, and they had Brian Kelly third. And of course, that created some conversation as well, similar conversation to this, but this convert, this one from CBS Sports ranked Brian Kelly fifth. And so, you know, to me, this is where I think you could have a lot of debate. I, I We all agree on one and two, right? One and two is Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. I think if you look at it, and, and let's first, actually, before we begin, let's define the criteria of what we're talking about here. So when you're talking about top coaches, I think you have to take the entire resume into consideration for a part of it. But I think the bigger conversation needs to be about where coaches are right now in recent history at the schools they are currently coaching. And I think that's important because that's going to have a big impact on, on where you would rank certain coaches. So, for example, when you when you look at Mac Brown, for example, say, well, you know, who has a other than Nick Saban, who has a resume that matches up to Mac Brown? It's got a national title. It's won a ton of games. But then you say, well, you know, Mac Brown's title came back in 2005 at Texas. He's been out of coaching since then, and he's now back at North Carolina. So Jimbo Fisher has a national title and we'll get into him. But it's not at the school he's currently at, and he was basically pushed out at the school he won a national title. So we're going to kind of take into context where part of it is your overall record. And again, that's the smaller part, in my opinion. The bigger chunk is what have you done in the last four seasons? And then also part of that evaluation is how do you do in the big games? Because I think both of those things are, are, are important to where, to where a coach should rank. So we agree, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, 1-2. Uh, some people could argue that Dabo should be ahead of Saban based on their head-to-head -head, you know, success and the fact that Clemson does more with less. Look, I, I look at it and say the last four years, they both have – well, really the last four – if we're just looking at the last four years, Alabama has two titles, Clemson has one. If you wanted to push it back to 2016, and the reason I didn't do that is because 2016 is when some of these coaches were making changes and some of these guys in this conversation weren't even there. And, of course, not having 2016 in there, if we're being honest, helps Brian Kelly's overall resume because otherwise you'd have to throw a four and eight season. So I'm kind of looking at it from really what's happened the last four years since Notre Dame's post-2016 uh, makeover. And you look at you know how Brian Kelly stacks up against those coaches, and in some ways I think he stacks up very well, and I think that there can be a conversation that Brian Kelly should be third if you're going to look into a longer resume. If you're going to get into a longer resume and you're going to take in Brian Kelly's entire Notre Dame tenure plus Cincinnati and all those other things, you know, I think you can make a case that Brian Kelly's third, but I, I I don't think that's really necessarily where we should be when it comes to evaluating coaches. I want to stick to really recent history. And so let's look at Coach Kelly's history compared to the other coaches that are in the conversation, which for me is Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, James Franklin, Dan Mullen. There's some people that will have Pat Fitzgerald in there. He is not in my top 10. I think Pat Fitzgerald is incredibly overhyped. Matt Campbell, to me, has a chance to jump in there. CBS Sports had him in their top 10. They actually had Pat Fitzgerald ninth 
or eighth and and uh Matt Campbell ninth. I think Matt Campbell's done a really nice job at Iowa State, but he needs to show me what he can do this year when he's now uh, the hunted. And now that he's going into the season with some top 10 expectations, Pat Fitzgerald, get him out of the top 10. He doesn't need, he doesn't deserve to be in this conversation. So we're not going to talk about him, but you know, let's talk about where Brian Kelly stacks up uh, with, with a lot of these other coaches. And, and that's really where, where, this conversation can get very interesting when, when you talk about where does Brian Kelly deserve to stack up. So the first part is if you just look at overall record, you know, Brian Kelly's in a good place. You know, he's 43 and eight, very similar record to Kirby Smart, very similar record to Lincoln Riley. The difference between him and Lincoln Riley is Lincoln Riley's played in four conference championship games. Brian Kelly's played in one. So I think that's a difference. But so when but when you're so what so how do you figure out how do you break this between Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley? You say, well, Lincoln Riley inherited a, a better program. So good point. That's a that's kind of a, a knock for Brian Kelly, or I mean a, a check for Brian Kelly. My counter to that would be if I'm playing devil's advocate, but yeah, Brian Kelly's been at Notre Dame for eleven years. He's had a lot of time to build the program up. You know, he had basically what was it? Lincoln Riley took over in 17. So Brian Kelly had like seven seasons to get things going, to get things rolling, had an undefeated season, had the 10 and three season where they finished and, um, you know, played in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. And that they did that with uh, before Lincoln Riley had, had taken over as the head coach. So he had plenty of time to build it up. That's the counter argument. Um, you say, well, Oklahoma doesn't play in a great league. And the counter to that is Notre Dame doesn't exactly play tough schedules uh, like they used to. So I think there can be a legitimate back and forth between these two. For me, what it boils down to is that second record. It's that second column right here. And that is record against top 25. I think when you look at the record against top 25 programs, that's really where, for me, it comes down to, and it's hard to say, it's hard to argue with with the success that Lincoln Riley has had. Now, I think the one thing that is a drawback for me when it comes to Lincoln Riley is just how bad they've been on defense. I think that is a strike against him. I think that has limited their potential for success in the big stage. But part of this 12-5 and five does not just include a bunch of wins over Big 12 teams. He beat Florida convincingly in a bowl game this year. The other part of it, too, is he has a win over Ohio State. He has a road win over a top 10, a top 5 Ohio State team. Ohio State was ranked in the top 5, I believe, when they played and finished the 2017 season in the top 5. And... They beat Ohio State on the road convincingly in Lincoln Riley's first season, and he's produced two Heisman Trophy winners. So if you're going to look at the data and you're going to look at more of a recent track record for these rankings, then it's it, I think you have to be able to look at Lincoln Riley and say he has a strong case for being ahead of uh, being ahead of Brian Kelly. I think Ryan Day is the more interesting one. I think that's the one where I can give a lot more pushback as far as whether or not Lincoln Ryan Day should be ahead of 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 uh of um, Brian Kelly. When you look at Lincoln Riley, he's been there four years now. They're going into year five. They're a preseason top five team. So he has the program rolling. He has established a level of consistency that was even better than what he inherited. You know, there was an eight and five season a couple years before he took over at Oklahoma. And yes, they were a good program when he took over. They were coming off of a, a two years prior, they had been a playoff team. Um, but uh, what we have to remember about some of that success that they had in his last couple seasons was under Bob Stoops is a lot of that had to do with Lincoln Riley as the offensive coordinator. And so that's, that's something you have to think about too. So Lincoln Riley took over as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator in 2015. 
Well, if you look at what Oklahoma did the year before he got there in 2014, they went eight and five. And so you, you say the year before that, they went 11 and two. The year before that, they were 10 and three, but they got smacked by Notre Dame. They got smacked by Texas A&M in a bowl game. They got beat by Kansas State. They weren't really a rolling program. 2011, 10, again, 10 and three, uh, but got smacked by Oklahoma State. So, I mean, they were in a good place, but the year before Lincoln Riley took over, Oklahoma went eight and five. Uh, took over as the offensive coordinator. They went eight and five. And uh, so obviously then Coach Stoops fired, got rid of Josh Heupel and Jay Norvell, brought in Lincoln Riley. And that next year they went 11 and two and made it to the college football playoff that year. 2016, they went 11 and two, won the Big 12, finished in the top five again. Uh, finished that season with a blowout victory over Auburn. Uh, remember that was the year they lost to Houston in the opener and then lost to Ohio State a couple weeks later uh, at home. Ohio State smacked them at home pretty good. And then that was that was Bob Stoops' last year. So then Lincoln Riley takes over. They've been twelve and two every year since, uh, and well, at least twelve and two every year that they've that there has been a full college football season. This past year they went nine and two, but that's because of a shortened season. Went twelve and two and smacked Ohio State. Absolutely smacked Ohio State, thirty-one to sixteen. Uh, and their loss that year in the college football playoff was in double overtime to Georgia, who was the national runner-up. That was a really good competitive loss. And that's another thing. They, their other loss to Alabama in the playoff was by 11 points. Now, Alabama controlled that game, but it was by 11 points. It was a lot more. Uh, the LSU game was the anomaly for Oklahoma when it comes to their playoff uh, appearances and, and success. So I think Lincoln Riley deserves to be there. Ryan Day's situation is a little bit different because Ryan Day inherited a program that was absolutely rolling. And not only was it absolutely rolling, but he also stepped in as the offensive coordinator in a situation where I think he, you know, because he, you can make the same case for him that you made for Lincoln Riley that, you know, hey, look, he was, he was a guy that, you know, stepped in and was the offensive coordinator and things along those lines. He was the co-offensive coordinator in 2017. He was the offensive coordinator in 2018, but Ohio State was a pretty good program before Lincoln Riley stepped into the, into the conversation. And what he's essentially done is he's kept things going. You know, they went 13-1 and in his first year. They went 7-1 and this past year. He still hasn't lost a Big Ten game. And they have a, a, vic a victory over Clemson this year, smacked Clemson this year in the, in the college football playoff. And then uh, last year lost in the college football playoff to Clemson in the game where they had an opportunity to win it late. They blew a 16-0 lead. So, uh, you know, Ryan Day's in a situation where – you know, he's, he's gone seven and two against top 25 teams. They had five wins over top 25 teams in 2019, which is really impressive. A lot of that was over big 10 teams. So that's the other part that you kind of look at and say, you know, they did a lot that a lot of their successes come against big 10 teams. They did beat Cincinnati 42 to nothing the year before, but the rest of their wins are over a couple wins over Wisconsin, a win over, I think what we would all say was an overrated Michigan team. Um, but they are one and two in the playoff, which is one more victory than what Brian Kelly has. So, I for me, I'm a little, I'm a little reluctant to put Ryan Day in there, and this is going to sound like I'm I'm being critical of him, but I'm really not. I think Ryan Day is a very good football coach, and I think Ryan Day is going to continue doing what he's done the first two years. I mean, that's just my opinion. At the same time, we have to remember Larry Coker won a national championship in his first couple of years. What I like about Lincoln Riley is the Bob Stoops era is now officially done. I mean, he's been there four years. They're going into year five, and the expectations are every bit as high now. There's been no drop-off. We can evaluate it after he's had a full recruiting class go through, where when you look at Larry Coker, 
you know, Larry Coker had success very on at Miami, very early on at Miami, but he inherited a phenomenal situation, right? You know, when, when you look at taking over for Butch Jones, he went 12 and 0 as his first year, 12 and 1 year two, won a title his first year, lost the national title game the next year. Then they went 11 and 2, then 9 and 3, 9 and 3, 7 and 6. So it didn't take until year four that the wheels started to come off for Larry Coker at Miami because he inherited such a good situation. Well, Lincoln Riley's gotten past that period. He's proven that, hey, look, we're going to continue rolling. Ryan Day's not there yet. Now, I think Ryan Day's going to keep rolling, but he hasn't yet. And to me, he has to show that. And this year is going to be big for him because there's no transfer quarterback. There's no Justin Fields to kind of take over for Dwayne Haskins. He's now going to have to start developing some of his own guys, and that's where I want to see, okay, can he maintain that? And that's why I I personally would not put Ryan Day ahead of Brian Kelly right now. Now, this is going to be a big year for both of them, but for me right now, I I, I put Brian Kelly ahead of, ahead of uh, Ryan Day. I, I think this number right here with Jimbo Fisher is should get him out of the conversation for being ranked as high as he was. Uh, James says, what is BK's record against top 10? James, um, that right there, 10 and eight, see that at the top of the screen, 10 and eight versus top 25. Uh, that's in the last four years. Okay. So that's his record versus top 25. Jimbo Fisher's four and 12 against top 25 teams. So you say he has a national championship. That was all the way back in 2013. Since then, they got absolutely obliterated in the college football playoff. I believe it was what 59 to 10 by Oregon, something insane like that, um, got gave up a 70 spot to Louisville since then, basically got pushed out from Florida State after going five and six. And he's done a solid job at Texas A&M, but he's got still got a lot more to prove to me. So to me, Jimbo Fisher is not in the conversation for me when it comes to uh, top top coaches right now in college football. Uh, you know, so so we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see what's going on. So um, you know, that, that to me is where, is where he ranks in, in my view. He's not in this conversation. He's borderline top 10 in my view. So Jimbo's out of there, even though the reason I brought him up is because in the CBS sports poll, they had Jimbo sixth right behind Brian Kelly. They had him seventh the year before. And so again, if you're going to take entire career into consideration, then Mac Brown should be much higher. I, I mean, if you're going to look at, you know, the a career he wanted a school that he's no longer coaching at, then let's get Mac Brown in the top five because Mac Brown's got like what two hundred some wins. He's got a national title, got another national runner up. So if we're going to talk about that. Then Mac Brown should be ahead of Jimbo Fisher. So I thought he was vastly overrated. Kirby Smart. Now this is this is the interesting one because Kirby's got a very similar record to Brian Kelly. He's got one more win against ranked opponents than Brian Kelly. He's two and zero against Brian Kelly. And I would argue that just from a pure on-paper resume standpoint, I think that Kirby has more big wins than Brian Kelly. I mean, you know, with the exception of not being able to beat Alabama, he's got a great win over a, a, a – I still feel if Oklahoma would have beat Georgia in 2017, that they would have beat Alabama in the national title game. I, I think they absolutely would have outscored Alabama in that title game. That was a great Oklahoma team, and Georgia knocked them off in double overtime. That was a huge win. And and he's got some other big wins. You know, they've had some really good wins over Florida. They've got had some wins over, uh, you know, obviously smacked Auburn in the SEC title game. He's got an SEC championship. But here's my issue with 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 uh, Kirby Smart. If we're just arguing on paper, I think you can make a case that Kirby should be fourth ahead of Brian Kelly. 
but I wouldn't put him there. Part of the reason is, is I think he inherited number one, a very talented roster. I think his best season so far has been with a team that was built by the previous coaching staff. And, you know, his second team was the team that went to the national championship game. I think went 13 and two that year, beat Notre Dame by a point. That was in the first year of the Notre Dame sort of post 2016 makeover. And since they've kind of gotten away from having Mark Rick's players, they haven't really taken a, a, a jump in my opinion. And, and so when I look at it, I say he has great talent. They finish in the top three in recruiting every year. Uh, he is a great recruiter, no question about it. But can, can you really tell me, and, I, and I'm asking this genuinely, can you really tell me that Kirby Smart, even though he's got the head-to-head, has gotten more out of his program than Brian Kelly's gotten out of his program? I, I don't think you can. Now, there's some things that that Brian that draw Brian Kelly down. His recruiting lack thereof is something that that to me is a is a is a black mark on his resume. And he's lost a lot of the big games. If you look at that ten and eight record, only one of those wins is against the top five team. They're one and five or top ten team. They're one and five against opponents that finish in the top twenty top ten. And for the record, this top twenty five is teams that finish ranked in the top twenty five. I'm a big believer that that's how you properly evaluate top twenty five. Otherwise, you're going to have to say that Notre Dame's win over Georgia Tech in 2015, when Georgia Tech finished three and nine, was a bigger win than Notre Dame's 2013 ten over Michigan State, who was unranked. Michigan State finished the year thirteen and one. Georgia Tech finished the year three and nine. I care about what you finish. I care about how good you are. And a lot of these wins that people want to chalk up are September wins where you're basically still living off of your preseason hype. So this is postseason, this is postseason top 25. But I just feel like Kirby Smart, number one, is one of the worst game day coaches in college football, in my opinion. I believe they win with talent. I believe they simply just have better players than most of the teams that they play against. And when they've been in situations where the other teams are equally as talented, they struggle. And I think his inability to get his teams ready for bowl games that aren't title games or playoff games tells me a little bit about the control he has over his program. So even though the on-paper resume might be more impressive, I just don't have Kirby Smart ranked as high as others. And I was impressed that CBS Sports didn't didn't um, didn't have him higher. They actually had him seventh and down a spot. He was sixth last year. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, to see that. So that's that's kind of where I, I would have him. I'd have him outside of it. And then there's some other coaches. James Franklin has a really good record. The Athletic, one of the guys in the Athletic had James Franklin like fifth or sixth. Uh, I think it was Bruce Feldman, which I think is way too high. He's got a good overall record, but again, losing record against top 25 teams. I think Dan Mullen's a very underrated coach. And oh, here's something else about Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher has two seasons in his last four years, two seasons, in which they have played at least four top 25 teams and didn't win a game. They went 0-4 in 2019, or 0-5 in 2019, and 0-4 in 2016 when he was at Florida State. That is, that's not good. Could you imagine what the national media would be saying about Brian Kelly if he had two seasons in the last four years where they lost four and five games against top 25 teams and had zero wins? There's no way Brian Kelly would be in the top 10 conversation. They would crush him in every chance they get for, oh, he beats up on a lot of bad teams and can't ever beat anybody good. If Brian Kelly had a 4-12 and record 
against top 25 teams. I don't care if Notre Dame would have beat Alabama in 2012 and won the national title. There still would not have him in the top six as a, as a college football coach. There's no question about it. So Jimbo, to me, is a very, very overrated football coach right now. Uh, and this year, we're going to find out if I'm right or not because he's got a ton of talent coming back. There's a lot of preseason hype about Texas A&M. So we're going to see if there's, they're good, and the SEC West won't be as down as it was last year. So that's um, that's certainly a part of it. But Dan Mullen, to me, is a guy, when you look at it and you say he inherited a, a rough situation from a coach that was not recruiting well, I thought he did about as well as you could do at Mississippi State. I mean, that's a program that's very hard to win at, and he won there consistently. And he's got Florida rolling, but he's not doing it with like top five recruiting classes every year either. So we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think he's, to me, if he can go out and win 10-plus games this year, especially after losing Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, he's going to jump way up this list. CBS Sports had him 10th. Honestly, if I had to pick coaches right now, and ultimately that's where it comes down to it for me, with the exception of Ryan Day for the reasons I mentioned, if I look at these and I say, would I trade Brian Kelly for Jimbo Fisher? Heck no. Would I trade Brian Kelly for Kirby Smart? Heck no. Would I trade Brian Kelly for James Franklin? Heck no. Would I trade him for Dan Mullen? I'd have to think about that for a second. Because I do think Dan Mullen is is very good at maximizing the talent that he has on his football team. And so that would be one that would be, to me, be a very, very interesting uh, conversation. So that's where I rank those guys. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. The tougher one for me, however, was where to rank Brian Kelly when it comes to the all-time greats at Notre Dame. And... You know, again, it, it just seems like with everything, with politics, with culture, with history, with sports, it's it's there's no like middle ground anymore. It's either I'm way over here or I'm way over here. And and that just seems to be definitely the case with two Notre Dame topics. One is Ian Book and two is Brian Kelly. And you have people that that say, well, no titles, no, no few big game wins. So he's not good, not top 10 at anything, which to me seems kind of absurd. 
And then there's those that are like, oh, it's so hard to win at Notre Dame. And, and he's done so much with less. And hey, he's better than Char Charlie Weiss, Bob Davey, and Ty Willingham. So he top three, you know, and I think that's kind of equally misguided. I kind of fall in between there. I think that when you look at Brian Kelly's situation and you compare it to some of the other coaches that, that we talked about and some of the coaches at Notre Dame is every coach is stepping into a different situation. And that's where I think you need context. And when you look at Brian Kelly's overall record, you say, well, you know, his first, what, six years, he's had, what, three, five loss seasons and a four loss season. Uh, then he went 12 and one and then 10 and three. And in year seven, they go four and eight. Well, since then, they've got 10 and three, 12 and one, 11 and two, and 12 and 10 and two. So they've established a level of, of, high competence at this point in time where uh, Notre Dame has not lost to an unranked team since 2016. That's four straight years. They have not lost to an unranked team. They haven't lost a home game since the second game of the 2017 season, which again is incredibly impressive and, and a level of consistency that you have to admire, whether you are a pro Kelly or an anti Kelly person doing those things is not easy. And, you know, so I, I think that, his situation too was he stepped into a situation at Notre Dame where he inherited a program that was had a losing record the three previous years. He inherit he stepped into a program that bigger picture had not really won a, a on a, a championship caliber level in almost twenty years, hadn't won a national title in, in over twenty years, and you know let's be honest at the time when Brian Kelly replaced Charlie Weiss Notre Dame was behind the eight ball compared to a lot of these other programs in almost every capacity. You had an administration that had fought against the football program for years. Jack Swarbrick is really only in his second year when Brian Kelly took over. So he was still – actually, was going into his third year. He was at Notre Dame in, uh, let me see, 2009, took over, right, I believe. So he'd be going into his second year. And Notre Dame's – I mean, the facilities, the field, the Google was starting to get a little bit outdated. I mean, there was – there was a lot going on, not the Goog, I'm sorry, the indoor facility. And there was a lot going on at Notre Dame that just said it's harder. It was harder to win there when Brian Kelly took over. And be, with Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame has come a long way in those 11 seasons. And it's not as hard to win at Notre Dame now. Part of it is because of Jack Swarbrick. Part of it is because the administration has done things to support the football program, including it is easier to get students into school than it was at times in the past, so that, that that the administration has worked with the football team on getting there. Matter of fact, I would argue that Brian Kelly sets a higher standard for recruits to come to Notre Dame than the administration does or the admissions department does, which I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is what it is. So I, I think that's part of it And with some of these other coaches, and we're going to talk about these Notre Dame coaches, you, you have to consider that they stepped into completely different situations. So let's talk about Notre Dame's all-time great coaches. I think we can all agree that one, two, and you can maybe argue who's one and who's two, but I think we can all agree that that Newt Rockney and Frank Leahy are, are one and two, right? Uh, we can Again, we can discuss who's one, who's two. Both had very interesting circumstances. Of course, Frank Leahy's unique circumstance was that World War II broke out right in the middle of his coaching tenure, and he didn't coach for three se or two seasons, right? Um, and then when he comes back, they went through a stretch from 1946 to 1949 where they didn't lose a single football game. They went 36-0-2 and won three national titles in four years, which is just incredibly impressive. 
Uh, Newt Rockney, they didn't have the top 10 the way that it is now back then, so he didn't have any top 10 finishes per se. Uh, But he had five undefeated seasons in 13 years. He had an 881 win percentage, which I believe is still the all-time record. Frank Leahy had an 855 win percentage. He had four national titles to Newt Rockney's three. He had nine top 10 finishes in 11 years, and he had six undefeated seasons in 11 years, which is just insane. Uh, I have Coach Parsegian next. Coach Parsegian, I have him over Coach Holtz. They coached the same tenure, uh, the same number of years, but they played fewer games back then. He did not play the challenging schedules that Lou Holtz played, and I think that's something that can be taken into consideration when you talk about him versus Coach Holtz. I think the reason I put Coach Parsegian over Coach Holtz is, number one, more top 10 finishes because when Coach Parsegian left, Notre Dame was still pretty good. When Coach Holtz left, Notre Dame wasn't good anymore. The, the downturn of Notre Dame actually started under Coach Holtz, not uh, uh, not uh, Bob Davey. Bob Davey kind of took it off a cliff, but they were kind of slowly going down. They had a 6-5 in one year, a 9-3, and three, and an 8-3. So they weren't the powerhouse they were during much of his tenures. So that's, but, and Coach Parsegian had a much higher win percentage, 836 to 765. But again, played softer schedules. He had nine top 10 finishes to Coach Holtz's five. And of course, he had two national titles. So I think that's the four, and then Coach Holtz is my number four. I think we can all agree on that, and you can let me know in the chats if you agree with that. I think that 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 is the the top four at Notre Dame. I think after that, however, there can be some discussion about where Brian Kelly stacks up. And the things that, to me, go into it are obviously national titles are a big part of it. And so that you know that's a pretty important part of it. So there's going to be one coach that's not on here that has a national title that's going to be in this conversation that I've had people tell me should be ranked ahead of Brian Kelly. I think consistency is a part of it, and that's something that has hurt Brian Kelly at times. What kind of situation you inherited needs to be factored into your win-loss record. And then I think longevity fact is a factor, and especially to a place like Notre Dame because it is it is a tough place to be at for a long period of time, which is why – when this season starts, Brian Kelly and Newt Rockney are the only coaches that coach beyond 11 years because the longevity t- aspect is in two two regards. Number one is, can you do a good enough job to not get fired? And then number two, can you handle being there that long? You know, and, and so I think that's something where where Coach Kelly gets you know some check marks because he's going into his 12th year at Notre Dame, and they've been better at the end of his tenure than they were at the beginning of his tenure, which I think is something he deserves a lot of credit for. Uh, so let's look at, let's look at the, to me, there's four coaches that are in the conversation for what's the next group. It's Brian Kelly. It's Dan Devine. It's Elmer Layden and Jess, Jesse Harper. Uh, so let's, let's look at this a little bit. Cause I, I want to get into this and I want to get some of your opinions on this. So this isn't my ranking per se. This is just stacking the coaches up. So obviously Brian Kelly has a lower winning percentage than a lot of those coaches. Same number of top 10 finishes in fewer years. He has more wins. But here's to me where I have a hard time kind of fitting some of these coaches in. You look at Dan Devine. Obviously, he has a higher winning percentage than Brian Kelly. He won a national title at Notre Dame. But here's my issue with Dan Devine. When did Dan Devine step in at Notre Dame? He stepped in after Coach Parsegian retired. 
Well, he walked into a pretty darn good situation. You know, Notre Dame had gone 11 and 0 and 10 and 2 in the two years prior. They won a national title two years before Dan Devine showed up. Whereas when Brian Kelly came to Notre Dame, Notre Dame had gone what three and nine, seven and six, and six and six, and he was replacing a fired coach. So then you look at Coach Devine's tenure, and he went eight and three, nine and three. Then they won the national title in '77. Then nine and three, seven and four, nine two and one. With all due respect to Coach Devine, he took a great program, and he wasn't as good as the coach that was there before him. Uh, and the longer he was there, and by the time that all of Coach Parsegian's players were gone, they were a nine and three, seven and four, nine two and one football team. And so I have a hard time making the case for Dan Devine other than you'd say he won a national title. So if you're someone who believes national titles are the end-all, be-all, the trump card over everything, which means you then think Gene Chizik should be in the Hall of Fame and Ed Orgeron should be in the Hall of Fame because they won national titles, uh, Larry Coker should be in the Hall of Fame because he's got a national title and coached one of the greatest college football teams ever, sure, then I, I get it. You're going to have Dan Devine higher. But to me, there's a lot more that goes into it. And, and when I look at Brian Kelly's success of what he inherited – and then what he did since he's been here, Notre Dame, I'm trying to think about this. Notre Dame hadn't won a national title in over 20 seasons when, when Brian Kelly took over. In the 10 years prior to Dan Devine being at Notre Dame, they'd won two national titles, including two, two years before he got there. You look at Elmer Layden, his situation is also interesting in that you know, he inherited a program that was in, in pretty decent shape. Obviously, he was in between uh, Coach Rockney and Coach Leahy. Uh, Hunk Anderson coached for, for three years. And if you look at his record uh, during his three years, Notre Dame went 6-2-1, and 7-2, So they had kind of had that, that, that down year. He was who replaced Coach Rockney after he died. And then Coach Layden came in and, and coached for f- uh, seven seasons. Went 47, 13, and one, uh, did not win a national championship. They had an opportunity to win. And this is me doing research, right? So I had to channel my inner loose emoji. And by the way, wouldn't this have been a great show to do with loose emoji? This would have been like so up coach Lou's wheelhouse. I just would have asked him a couple of questions and just let him roll. This would have been a great, great show to have with Lou. But 1938, did some reading research on this. And in 1938, Notre Dame was 8-0 and had a chance – they were ranked number one when they went to play at USC at the end of the year and got beat 13 to nothing. That would have won them a national title had he won that game. So he ended up not winning a national championship during his time at Notre Dame, but he did have a very good track record. But again, he stepped into a pretty good situation at Notre Dame. Uh, and then you look at Jesse Harper. Now, what's interesting is, is Newt Rockney began the championship tradition, but Jesse Harper was uh, was – there before him and he went 34 5 and 1 in his 5 years before and then coach Rockney stepped in so coach Rockney stepped into a a pretty darn good situation from Jesse Harper uh during that period of time but again he coached just 5 years so how do how do you handle that how do you compare that and, and again he got done coaching in what 1917 at Notre Dame so it's just so hard for me sitting here in 2021 to compare what Brian Kelly did to a coach that coached before Newt Rockney, you know, it's it's uh it's just a little bit challenging for me to do that because, you know, like we talked about, his situation was 
you know, his situation was quite different. So, you know, when I, when I look at what Brian Kelly has done, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can in good conscience rank him compared to Elmer Layden and Jess Harper. It's almost kind of like you, you have to look at him more in, in lines of the, maybe the post-World War II coaches. It's just, it's to me, it's just, it's too challenging to do that. Uh, But, you know, when, when I, when I think about, you know, what Brian Kelly has done and compared to Dan Devine, that's what I'm more comfortable with. And if you were going to ask me who do I think has done a better job at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly or Dan Devine, I'm going Brian Kelly. And that may not be popular with some, uh, but but I think that's a that's a big part of it. So, you know, that's where I'd say I'd probably, I'd probably think you can make a case for him being fifth because of longevity. But I think there's some people that could look at what Jesse Harper did and Elmer Layden did and say that they deserve to be in that conversation. So, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. So let's let's get into this. I want to get some of your thoughts. What are your thoughts and opinions? First of all, where do you think Brian Kelly stacks up uh, amongst modern coaches on the criteria that I gave, which is really recent history, is the predominant part, success versus ranked opponents, and then overall record is somewhat, you know, a smaller part of this conversation. So I want to find out from you what you think. And so we're going to we're gonna dive into some of these comments and questions and uh, and, and get into these a, a little bit. Matthew Thomas thinks we should give him a statue. I think you should never get a statue unless you are a national championship coach, and I don't know if Matthew's being serious or not. Um, Omar Austin has a, a great way of looking at it. No matter what happens, he brought Notre Dame out of the wilderness. And and Omar, I, I mean, I think that's where that's why I am sort of in the middle of this Brian Kelly conversation because I do think there are things that Brian Kelly has done that have held the program back from reaching that national championship level. But when he stepped in, nobody was talking about Notre Dame and national championships. It was just, are they going to be good again? There was the whole is Notre Dame relevant anymore conversation. You know, Brian Kelly stepped into a situation where Notre Dame was a mediocre. They weren't even a top 25 team. In the 10 years before he arrived, I believe Notre Dame had fewer seasons where they finished out of the top 25 than they finished in the top 25. It's unthinkable right now to think of Notre Dame not finishing in the top 25 because of where Brian Kelly's brought the program. So if he walked away tomorrow, I'm not giving him a statue because I think you need to win a national title to give it statue, but I don't think there's there's a there's a, and I think it's a small vocal group of people. I don't think it's a big group of people, but there's a small vocal group of people that are never going to give Brian Kelly his due. And, and I think there's a group of people, and there's they tend to hang out at one particular uh, site uh, that took out a billboard recently that Brian Kelly could win a national title next year, and they're going to make excuses for it and not give him credit for it. It just that's just who it is. I don't think those people necessarily should be taken seriously. I think the people that I take seriously are the people that raise the concerns about, yeah, he's done a lot of good things. And to Omar's point, he's brought him out of the wilderness, but it's not the administration that's keeping Notre Dame from that next step. It's not uh, the academics that are keeping Notre Dame from that next step. It's decisions that Brian Kelly's making, whether it be, you know, does Notre Dame have a national title right now if he doesn't have Brian Van Gorders as defensive coordinator in 2015? I think that's a very fair conversation. You know, does he, you know, how do things go if, if there's a couple other times we say, well, if he'd have made this decision, that decision from a coaching standpoint, maybe things would have turned out a little bit differently. Have he be more involved in the recruiting trail? There's a lot of things you could say that say it's Brian Kelly's not doing everything he needs to do to get the program to its highest level. And when he does that, then we can have conversations about what the school needs to do. 
at the same time, Notre Dame hasn't gone 43 and eight the last four years in spite of Brian Kelly either. Right. I mean, he deserves it. I've had people say, well, they didn't win because of Brian Kelly. They won because of Mike Elko and Chip Long. And I'm like, so he gets no, he gets all the blame for hiring Brian Van Gorder and keeping him, but he gets none of the credit for those other coaches. Now, were there other people involved in the hiring of those coaches as well? Yeah, there were. I mean, if we're being honest, but Brian Coach Kelly still had he still had football coach, and, and so I, I think he's done a lot for Notre Dame. But now it's it's time. Okay, well let's get him to the next level, and that's where I think more people need to have need, more people need to be willing to have the conversation of we should be comparing him to Lou Holtz and Dan Devine and Eric Parsegian, not Charlie Weiss, Ty Willingham, and Bob Davy. And I think that's the mistake some of the fans who. Um, look at Notre Dame and say, well, at least they're not that bad again. That's fine. That's in the past. That's not the standard. Not sucking is not the standard for the head coach of Notre Dame. It's what can you do to get to the next level? But what I think Brian Kelly's done is I do believe he solidified himself as a top five football coach in college football. And I do think he's pounding on the door of being one of the five best coaches all time in Notre Dame. And if he's not already there, some of you might think he's already there. And I'd be curious to kind of hear your thoughts. But, of course, as Blake says, like, subscribe, and turn on notifications, people. Go Irish. John Climax says, follow-up question, who, is the be- who has the best supporting cast, coaches, program, facilities? That's easy. That's Nick Saban and, and Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. Alabama has a tr- – and, and now, again, Nick Saban built that supporting cast, right? But, yeah, Al- Alabama is a machine right now, and Clemson is – is very much in that conversation as well. Tommy asks, do assistant coach hirings get taken into account? How do BK's hires compared to other coaches ranked around him? So here, here's the issue for me with Brian Kelly. Every coach has made mistakes. I mean, Urban Meyer hired Everett Withers to be his defensive coordinator and fired him after two years because he wasn't getting the job done. You know, he had a he thought Tom Beck and Ed Warner was a good idea as offensive coordinators. The difference between oh, Nick Saban's had some doozies of, of coordinator hires that he's he's had defensive coordinators, especially when Kirby left. There's a couple. There's there's a couple where I don't know about that. The difference, however, is that Brian Kelly has been slower to fix his bad hires. I mean, honestly, Brian Van Gorder doesn't last more than a year for Urban Meyer. The way that that. 2014 season ended and he probably doesn't last after 2015 the way that that season ended there was all the writing on the wall it was clear that brian van gorder was in over his head by the end of year one and if you go back and 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 remember where i was in 2014 i was complaining about brian van gorder early in the year when they were winning because you could just see the holes in his defense that eventually teams are going to catch up to and after that north carolina game in 2014 that defense was never the same and, uh, you know, I think that's been kind of my issue is, and even on the current staff, there's a couple spots where you say, boy, they need to upgrade there. And, and you know, recruiting-wise and coaching-wise, and he's slow to do it. They had a running backs coach who just didn't recruit at all. And to, I'm sorry, you, there's no excuse for a running backs coach not to be a great recruiter because it's the easiest position in football to coach. And anyone will tell you that. And if there's a running backs coach that tells you something different, he's not being honest with you. It's the easiest position of football to coach because it's so much more reliant on just those guys got to be really good. So you got to be a great recruiter. And so you had a running backs coach. who was a good running backs coach, which isn't hard, but he's a terrible recruiter. And not just from a success standpoint, but he didn't work. And he lasted four years at Notre Dame. Those kind of things don't happen at other schools. I don't care what kind of success he had as a player at the school. 
And so I think that's something to me, Tommy, where when I compare him to other coaches, I don't think Brian Kelly's made more bad hires than other coaches. I think he, you could argue he's maybe made less, especially lately. Cause I think he's, he's hired what five defensive coordinators. Now I'd say four of them were great hires. Bob Diaco was a great hire. Mike Elko was a great hire. Promoting Clark Lee was a great hire and hiring Marcus Freeman was a great hire. He said one bad D coordinator hire. That's it. It was just horribly bad and it was terribly timed and he was late and he was slow to fix it. And it wasn't until everything went completely south that he was kind of forced to make that move. So I think that's the difference. It's not that he's made more bad hires. It's just he's not as willing. And I think part is because he's just not as engaged. He's not as willing to say, hey, this isn't getting it done and we got to make a change. And I think that's that's the difference between Coach Kelly and some others. But I think a lot of his hires have been good hires. I mean, he's, he's hired three good online coaches, one great online coach. I, I think he's he's made some he's hired some young coaches that I think had potential that have panned out. Some didn't. And that's but that's true for every coach. John Climate kind of follows up, Tommy. That's kind of what uh what I am curious about as well. Hence my supporting cast question. I think it's a super valid question. Yeah, I agree. And I think right now, Notre Dame, and this is, I guess, why I get so frustrated with a couple of the positions that on the staff is Notre Dame's a couple coaches away from having an elite staff. And I think the Marcus Freeman is is Mike Mickens, Mike Elston. You know, those guys are are, I mean, the defense is there. We'll we'll find out about Chris O'Leary. I don't I don't have an opinion of him yet because I need to see him in action, but people that I know and respect think very highly of him. The offensive staff's kind of got to get going. I think Tommy Reese is on his way to being one of the best young coaches in the game. He's certainly putting in a lot of work on the recruiting trail, but he's he needs better supporting cast around him. Some of the coaches are good, some of them aren't, some of them definitely need to be upgraded. But I think that's kind of the that's kind of the thing that we need to we need to see here. Notre Dame two one six four jumped in a little bit late. I'm doing great. Good to see you in here as well. Let's see here, John. Appreciate this. We're, I'm just kind of going in order, so these kind of popped up. You do amazing. Love the shows. Thank you so much, Jack. I appreciate that very very much. Uh, John Climax says there's another category for head coaches as well, and that's the development of coaches. Iowa, for instance, gets players to the pros by developing them. And I think that's somewhere where Notre Dame deserves a lot of high marks right now because I think when you look at Notre Dame's success, they consistently outperform their recruiting rankings. They have had two top five finishes in the or top ten finishes, top five finishes in the last three years, yet they haven't had a single top five recruiting class in the last seven seven years. Right, the last top five recruiting class was all the way back in 2013. So I think they do a great job of developing. I think. The Matt Bayless hire was a big part of that. And that's one where I think Brian Kelly doesn't get enough credit because there's a lot of people will say, you know, Brian Kelly wasn't the driving force behind Mike Elko and Chip Long being hired. And that's true. Uh, Brian Kelly played a role in it, but there were other people at Notre Dame that were just as involved in that. But from what I was told, the reason Matt Bayless is at Notre Dame is because Brian Kelly was open to making the right hire. And if you remember, there was another coach that was on the verge of being hired as the strength coach. And then there was some crazy stuff went on at UConn. Bob Diaco, this is what I was told, Bob Diaco calls up Brian Kelly and says, look, you got to hire this guy. And so Coach Kelly did some quick research, saw his background, Matt Bayless's background with Florida uh, under uh, Mickey Mariotti, who's considered one of the best strength coaches in the last 20 years. He's at Ohio State. He was at Notre Dame back in the day. 
you, you look and he saw his success with Coach Meyer at not just Florida, but then Utah and and said, hey, look, we're going to bring him in. And he wanted to partner him with the guy he was going to hire, but that guy didn't want to partner with him. So he said, okay, cool. We're going to go with Matt Bayless. Home run, grand slam home run hire. And that's a Brian Kelly move. That's not a – that move was forced upon him. That was a Brian Kelly move. And, and and that's been a big part of the development at Notre Dame. And so when you when you look at that, to me, that's an area where, where Brian Kelly deserves a lot of credit um, for the current staff. But, I mean, they're developing a, a lot. I mean, offensive line, they've recruited well and developed well. But, like, defensive line, you know, they're taking guys that weren't ranked that high and turned them into NFL draft picks in a lot of instances. So I think their development has been has been very good. Kenny Moore has one list of coaches, and that's it. Apparently, <laughs> that's Nick Saban, and I get it. D-Rock says winning big games on a consistent basis is huge for me in that category. And, and I agree with you. But the reason I put that record up there of the other coaches is because a lot of Notre Dame fans get frustrated with Brian Kelly's record against top 25 teams. And from the standpoint of what is the standard at Notre Dame, they're absolutely correct. Uh, I mean, let, let me let me give you some, some numbers. If you want to compare this, this is something that as I was doing some research, I just found absolutely insane. So I just showed that in, in the last four years, let me let me get logged in here. So in the last four years, Notre Dame has gone eleven and eight against top twenty-five teams, which is you know good. It's it's or ten and eight. It's a solid record. And they've gone one and five against top ten teams. From nineteen eighty-eight to nineteen ninety-three, Lou Holtz's prime era, they went twenty-four, eight and one against top twenty-five teams. They went fifteen, eight and one against top 15 teams. This is finished in the top 15. And in a six-year span, Notre Dame went 14-5-1 against top 10 teams. That's insane. Brian Kelly has three top 10 wins in his entire career. So I think that that when you talk about evaluating Brian Kelly in, in regards to the standard at Notre Dame, there's a big gap between him and Lou Holtz and Eric Parsegian and those coaches. And, and, and to me, and it's that big win thing that you talked about D rock. But I also think you have to look at those other coaches and say, well, they're not winning those games either, or they're not winning them in, in a level beyond Brian Kelly. Nick Saban does Dabo Sweeney does. And Lincoln Riley does Ryan day has, but it's on a shorter period of time. I mean, what top 50, what top 25 team has as Ohio state beat that you could say was significantly you know, as good talent-wise as they were. I don't think you can say that about Clemson this year, but if you did want to say that about Clemson this year, say, okay, they beat them, but Notre Dame also beat Clemson uh, this year. And what would have happened in a rematch against Clemson? Would, would Ohio State have smacked them around again? I don't know. We don't know that. But the first time Notre Dame played Clemson, they beat them. So did Ohio State. So, you know, Ryan Day has still has a lot to prove, but his right now he's off to a great start. But you know, Brian Kelly's 10 and 8 against top 25. Jimbo's 4 and 8. Kirby Smart's 11 and 8. James Franklin's 6 and 10. Dan Mullen's 7 and 10. So Brian Kelly is does not stack up amongst the best coaches in the game in regards to the guys that are no brainers. Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, and, and to me, Lincoln Riley. But there's really nobody else that has outshined him in that regard. So, yes, he needs to be criticized because I still believe, and D Rock, I think you're the same boat. Brian Kelly should not be compared to, and we shouldn't justify just being okay with 10 and two because he's not Ty Willingham, Bob Davey, and Charlie Wise. He has gotten them out of that wilderness to Omar's point earlier. It's now about comparing him to Lou Holtz and to Eric Parsegian and those, and those kind of coaches and saying, Hey, you need to start closing the gap with Dabo and Nick Saban, not 
you know, pulling ahead, away from Jimbo Fisher and, and James Franklin. That's not the argument. Uh, Kenny Moore says, Saban, Dabo, Kirby Smart, Day, Lincoln Riley. I can't put BK in my top five, but he is definitely in the next tier of coaches. BK wins a lot of games, but he simply has too many losses on the big stage. And, and I get that. I get that, Kenny, and I think that's a fair point. But for me, again, Kirby Smart's record against top 25 teams is 11 and 8. Brian Kelly's is 10 and 8. There's not that big of a difference. And if you look, at NFL draft production and in college and recruiting rankings, Georgia's had a lot of talent. And and I don't know if I could say that Georgia has, you know, ha, has really been has really played gotten the most out of their, their program. I think that Brian Kelly's gotten more out of his program than Kirby has his. But I think the fact that that he does have a playoff win, he does have an SEC championship win, and he's 2-0 at Brian Kelly is gonna make it to where even though Kenny, I don't agree with you, I'm not gonna argue with you about it because I think it's it's your 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 argument for Kirby is more analysis based, where mine is based more on gut and uh, you know being subjective and things like that, which makes it a lot harder to win an argument when it's that way. To be completely honest with you, and then John, I, you know, he, he said to, to Kenny, "Smart has as many losses though." I do think we need to be able to look at the quality of those wins though. Kirby has multiple wins against teams that finish in the top ten. Uh, Kelly has one. And that was against Clemson. So uh, in in this recent stretch, so I get your point, and, and and I agree with it, and that's a point that I have made. But there's a counter argument to that to say you have to look at the quality of those top of those wins. You know, two of Brian Kelly's win, two of Brian Kelly's ten wins over ranked opponents were against Navy. Another was against Syracuse. Another was against a five loss Syracuse team or a Northwestern team. So the quality of those wins is different. I think we have to be honest about that. Kenny Moore, uh, D-Rock says, I believe BK would be top three to four if he won some of those big games. His teams have lost big two and on the big stage. I'll be honest with you. If Brian Kelly had won one of those games over Georgia, in my opinion, just one of them, I think you'd, you'd have to say he's the third best coach in college football. I think right there, as far as comparing him to modern coaches, the top 10, the top 25 wins, the top 10 wins is the only thing holding them back because you can't say national championships because, I mean, who who has a national championship? There's like five coaches in college football have a national championship. Mac Browns came back in 05. I don't think anyone's being seriously having a conversation that Ed Orgeron deserves to be in that conversation. And Jimbo Fisher's championship was at a different school, and, and he's kind of had some – I mean, look, the dude gave up a 70 spot since that title. He gave up 59 in a playoff game. His, his beatdowns in the playoff – were far worse than what Notre Dame's were. Uh, I mean, when you look at what happened to them against Oregon in 2014, that was embarrassing. And so, you know, I look at it and I say, you know, that's kind of where I think those teams stack up. But you, you, ha- you have you have to have some context, and there aren't a lot of other teams that are that are winning those games at a higher rate than what Notre Dame is. So I think that has to factor into this conversation as well into where Brian Kelly where, where Brian Kelly ranks is. Yeah, it's a frustrating thing when in regards to. Comparing him to, like I said, that stat against Lou Holtz, but I, there's just not a lot of other coaches that have those kind of things. And if if he did have one of those wins, again, just one of those wins against Georgia, I think we'd have a different view of Brian Kelly, especially if it was in 2019 when they should have beat Georgia. I think I think that was a, a tremendous miss op, missed opportunity. I think in 2017, Notre Dame played a little, uh, you know, they, they punched up a little bit in that game against Georgia. Uh, I think in 2019 against Georgia, they punched down in that game is how I would, how I would have it. 
D Rock agrees with me that Jimbo <laughs> Jimbo is overrated. Uh, let's see here. Chris Ayers asks, it's a good question. Do you have one example where Kelly made an in-game adjustments that allowed Notre Dame to beat a team that was more talented than they were? Think uh, he is a great he is a great big picture GM type coach, but is he good in game? I think Brian Kelly is a very good in-game coach. And what I would argue is, is I think Notre Dame has done some things in games that allow have allowed them to be competitive at times. Because here's the other thing too: is Notre Dame's regular season six losses against the best teams have looked very different than their postseason losses. Postseason is a different animal because in most of those instances, teams have had multiple weeks to prepare for you. If you go back and look at some of the losses that they've had to to highly ranked teams at Notre Dame, it's it was a somewhat competitive loss to Oklahoma in 2013, you know, a game where Oklahoma put it away late. You look at 2015, 2013, they beat Michigan State. 2015, they lost to Clemson by two points. They lost to a top five Stanford team by, what, two points, right? They lost to Georgia by a point. They lost to Georgia by six. And in both games, they had opportunities to win the game late. Their quote-unquote big game losses, with the exception of of Miami, have all been competitive. It's the postseason big games where they get smacked, for the most part. So I, I think that's that's to me. I think you look at Brian Kelly against Florida State in 2014. I think Notre Dame made a lot of moves in that game, coaching wise, schematically, uh, making different adjustments. You know, Florida State playing to stop Will Fuller, so they were really good running the ball early. And then when Florida State started coming up to be more aggressive, playing the, the run, they took some chances with Will Fuller to get some big plays in some quick throws kind of behind the linebackers that I thought were effective. So I think they've done some things in those games to be competitive. But I think to your point, I actually think it's the GM part of Brian Kelly, the big picture part of Brian Kelly, that has been the thing that's hurt them. Because my big complaint is when you watch Notre Dame against those big teams, you watch them against Miami in 2017 – you watch them even against Georgia in 2019. It, it, it's Notre Dame just didn't play with the same emotion, the same, and I think that matters in football. They didn't play set, play with the same high level of energy and fire as those other teams, and I think that's more of the issue for me with Brian Kelly than his in-game X's and O's. If, if you're not ready to play mentally at kickoff, it doesn't matter what plays you call. Go back and watch the Michigan game in 2019. Actually, don't do that because I don't want to hurt your. That's going to make all of us depressed. But you, we all remember it. That team wasn't ready to play. Notre Dame wasn't ready to play Miami. That's the GM big picture thing. That's not the in-game part. I think Brian Kelly's a good in-game coach. I think Kirby Smart's a terrible in-game coach. I think James Franklin is a terrible in-game coach. I don't think Brian Kelly's a terrible in-game coach. I think Brian Kelly needs to improve in some of the big picture GM stuff. Where Brian Kelly's really good is when kickoff starts. That's where I've always felt Brian Kelly's really good. The GM big picture guy is the reason they run the conservative offense, not the end game stuff. So that's where I'd push back just a little bit on that. Jordan Schreiber says, love being part of the Notre Dame community. And I'm, I, me too. See, look right here. I've been a Notre Dame fan my whole life. And I'm even more excited, Jordan, that you're a part of the Irish breakdown community. Very, very much so. So let's get back to some questions here. Thank you. So, and again, Jordan, thank you so much for the super chat and supporting our channel, man. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Let's get back to some of these questions. Uh, so, Chris, I hope I answered your question. So I, I just have a little bit of a different take on that. Alex Udell, do you think Notre Dame's next head coach is already on the staff? So I, let me let me take a little drink because I'm my throat's getting a little dry, but I want to talk about this because this is a great question. Okay. 
So I was on WSBT Sports Beat last week on Thursday. And one of the questions I was asked is if Brian Kelly retired after the 2021 season, who would I pick to replace him as the next head coach? And I was given the options of on staff, Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese, Mike Elston, and then not head coaches, not at Notre Dame right now, Clark Lee, Luke Fickle, and Matt Campbell or other. So, you know, I address some different things and I say, if you just look at resume right now, you'd have to look at Matt Campbell. I, I, I'm a, everybody knows I'm a huge Jeff Brom fan, but the last two seasons have kind of met you. It's, you can't hire Jeff Brom right now. Now, if they bounce back with an eight, nine win season, then Jeff Brom's back on my radar again. And, you know, you look at other coaches, Luke Fickle's got a nice resume. I think Luke Fickle's more at his level, but, but here's the thing for me. If Brian Kelly, let's say Notre Dame goes out and goes 11 and one in the regular season and either let's say they go to uh, a, they don't make the playoffs and they go to the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, something like that. And they win, they go 12 and one, or they make the playoff, win a game and then lose the title game in a really close game. And Brian Kelly says, you know what? That's it for me. I, I, it's time to retire. Uh, you know, who would who would step in? And I think this is the really interesting part of this conversation because, you know, for me, I look I look at this and say, how do you justify going outside the program if Brian Kelly leaves and Notre Dame is rolling? How do you justify blowing up the program, which essentially is what would happen? I mean, you're not going to have all these coaches at Notre Dame stay. Matt Campbell's not going to come in and keep every Notre Dame assistant or even most of the Notre Dame assistants. And I think especially guys like Marcus Freeman and and Mike Elston, if they get passed over for the head coaching job, would, would he even be more willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm out of here? I think for me, when I look at it and I say, if Brian Kelly retires and Notre Dame is still rolling, I think they're going to stay in house. I think you you have to. I think the only way you couldn't do that is if it was some coach that was just too good to pass up. Like Urban Meyer is an example. Let's just say Urban Meyer, you know, passed the background checks and all that kind of stuff, and decided he wanted to coach at Notre Dame. If Nick Saban, you know, who's a who's a good Catholic, wanted to, you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying those are going to be the guys. I, I'm just making the point. Like, if it was that kind of a big name that someone that's got title experience, then yeah, I kind of understand. But am I blowing up the program to hire Dan Mullen or Matt Campbell or 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 Jeff Brom as much as I love Jeff Brom? If Notre Dame is if Kelly retires and Notre Dame is rolling, I think that'd be I think that'd be impossible. So to Alex to Alex's question, at that point in time, I think that you'd have to go within the staff. And I think to me, the two best options are Marcus Freeman and Mike Elston. And and, and for for different reasons, but if it's a situation where let's say Notre Dame goes eight and four next year or the year that Brian Kelly's retires and you know, they're, 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 they're kind of slowly declining. Then I think you'd see him go out, out outside of the program and, and hire someone to kind of stop the bleeding and quickly get them back on track. So that, that is where I would, I would be with that one. So I, I just, I think it just depends on the timing of when Brian Kelly leaves in regards to who the next head coach is going to be. And and I and I would rather have one of those two guys, Marcus Freeman or Mike Elson, than than Clark Lee. 
Chris Ayers says, Brian Kelly is definitely a top five coach. Anybody who questions that, you have to question their motives. I Again, I think it depends on the criteria. In the criteria that I laid out, I think it's a no-brainer. Brian Kelly's a top five coach. I think if you're going to look at entire careers, however, I do think there's a couple coaches, namely Mac Brown, who deserve to be in that conversation and could potentially brought, drop bump, bump Kelly out. But for me, in both circumstances, he'd be five for me in the top five for me, but I think you could make a little bit more of a case, but, but anyone who's going to look at my criteria, which is recent success, I don't see how you can't have Brian Kelly as a top five coach. And and I agree with you. I think there's more to it than just, again, part of it is Chris is some of people make emotional reactions and that's okay. I get it. I mean, we're fans. We make emotional reactions, right? But you think of, Oh man, you know, Brian Kelly doesn't win the big games compared to Lou Holtz and, and some of these other coaches. And you say, so therefore he's not a top five coach of college football. Well, that's an emotional response, not a factual one. Because to make a fa- factual one relative to where he ranks in modern coaches, you have to compare that to what other teams do in those same circumstances and situations. And there really aren't five coaches with better records against top 25 teams than what Notre Dame has had in recent seasons. Maybe Kirby Smart. The only others are Lincoln Day and Ryan, Ryan Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day. That's it. Jeff Luke says, do you think Brian Kelly's a different idea of what a playmaker at wide receiver is? Maybe a 6'4 guy is his idea of a playmaker in his offense. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean, they they want big, tall wide receivers. And, you know, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. D-Rock says, uh, your top four Notre Dame coaches are spot on. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you could discuss the order of one and two and then three and four, but I think those are clearly the top four. Notre Dame 2164. I've been arguing with Georgia fans forever about Kirby Smart. He's an elite recruiter, but a very average, if not below average coach. I agree with you completely, and especially as a game day coach. And then Tommy Leonard, in response to Dan Devine, says he decided to play Rudy. That counts for something, right? Right? No. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Chris Ayer says it's really hard to rank coaches in different eras. I agree. I will defer to your viewpoint because this is your profession. But to somebody like me, explain what makes Nuke Rock me better than Brian Kelly. Are you seriously? He was well, he won three national titles. That's part of it. In 11 years, he won three national titles. Uh, he was one of the most innovative coaches in history. He basically started the whole cross country uh, travel. He had, I'm trying to look at it right here. You know, people say, well, you know, Brian Kelly's going to catch him in wins. Newt Rockney coached eight to 10 games a year. Brian Kelly's coached 12 to 13 every year. Newt Rockney's record at Notre Dame was. Hit three, one, and two in his first year, nine and oh, nine and oh, ten and one, eight, one and one, nine and one, ten and oh, seven, two and one, nine and one, seven, one and one, five and four, to which he bounced back with two his final two years at Notre Dame. He went 19 and 0 and won two national titles. So Newt Rockney was a far more successful coach. He had a winning percentage, as I as I mentioned earlier, in his he's got the all-time winning highest winning percentage of 881 meaning they that's the percentage of games they won brian kelly's at 723 uh i don't think brian kelly's even in the top 25 of all-time winning coaches and and brian kelly's 723 at notre dame is, is very successful but i mean they're they're in no way does does newt rockney does brian kelly compare to newt rockney he had five undefeated seasons in 13 years brian kelly's had two and that's just regular season the reason I count Brian Kelly's having two is because Newt Rockne only coached in one bowl game. And, and so that is that is a different thing where two of Brian Kelly's undefeated seasons ended in a bowl game. So it, it it's a little bit different. But yeah, 
Newt Rockney was a far more successful, far more innovative coach in an era where it was a completely different era. But I mean, and he didn't, Notre Dame didn't have the tradition. He established that tradition. Jay Clamp and investments says, I think Brian Kelly has had issues is more of an, inst- is more of an institutional problem. All the Alabama's Ohio State's and Clemson's all embrace the arms race. Notre Dame really is behind the times. No, that I don't agree with that. Uh, Notre Dame in the last six or seven years, Jay, uh, I'm just calling you JC because I don't know what your name is. Last six or seven years, Notre Dame has absolutely done a ton to get caught up in the arms race. Their stadium, their facilities, the things they do for recruiting, their indoor facility is all top-notch. Notre Dame's not losing recruits because they don't have a slide like Clemson. Notre Dame has got to do some things, in my opinion, to continue to build the back end of their office, but they've done a lot of that. So Notre Dame is not losing the arms race like they were. They were before Brian Kelly took over, but – I don't. I don't agree that there's an institutional problem. I think the University of Notre Dame has spent almost a billion dollars in the last decade building up the football program. When you look at how much it costs to renovate the facilities, putting down the new turf field, some renovations to the Goog, uh, and then of course the new indoor facility. Those are multiple hundreds of millions of dollar projects that that this institution has spent. They're spending way more on coaches now than they ever have. They're, they're, they've done a lot of things. Now, you could say, okay, are they willing to maybe make some tough choices to, to, to do things? No, but as far as giving Brian Kelly the resources he needs and, and what Jack Swarbrick has offered, offered the Instant University of Notre Dame has done a lot, a lot for the football program in the last decade. Notre Dame 2164, I think BK has to be top five in today's coaching world. I think his weaknesses are just a little more obvious than some other coaches. Again, what other coaches? Right, obviously we get it. Dabo, Saban, Lincoln Riley, I get it. But what other coaches is his weaknesses more obvious then? Again, if we're talking top five, he's two coaches, in my opinion, three coaches clearly, clearly different. I get your point. But after him, who who has who had who doesn't have those problems? You, you know what I mean? Because we're in an era where there's really been three to four teams that have just dominated college football the last six or seven years. You've had a team here and a team there, but it, those similar programs and, and, you know, Brian Kelly is to me uh, after that group of four schools, Notre Dame to me is right there with those programs. James says uh, BK offense was poorly coached. He was satisfied with an average offense. And I think that's one of his downfalls. I think that's one of the things holding Notre Dame back. And that to, to your point, James, that's why I say the things holding Notre Dame back right now are not institutional. They're football. They're football decisions. And then when Coach Kelly makes those changes, like he did on defense, then the program can take that final step, in my opinion. They're not institutional admissions, facility things holding the school back. It's it's football decisions. Michael Morris kind of says that. I, I don't know what to think about him. He's gotten us close, but he also holds us back. And again, I, I agree. Wade Garrett says, I'd have BK three, possibly four. I assume, Wade, you're talking about the modern coaches, right? I'm just just want to follow up. I, I believe that's that's who you're talking about. And and I would have Lincoln Riley ahead of him. That's just me. But because uh, I think he's had his teams have been better the last four years than Brian Kelly's. And if you're going to go past four years and say, well, Lincoln Riley has only been there four years, but you don't, you don't want to bring Brian Kelly's first six, seven years into the conversation because it's it's going to make it even more obvious that Lincoln Riley's ahead of him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I get your point. I think that you can make a case for Brian Kelly to be over there if you want to look at the entire resume. But for me, I'd, I'd have Lincoln there, but I definitely have Brian Kelly no lower than fourth 
or excuse me, no lower than fifth, in my opinion. I, I, again, you can make a case for Ryan Day, and I think Ryan Day's a heck of a coach, but I've seen too many Gene Chizik's and Larry Coker's to, to really feel too good pounding my fist on the table for a guy that's been into school for two years when he inherited such a phenomenal situation. I need to see him continue that success. And so far, the way he's recruited, he, he certainly is, is going to do that. Dynasty ISP, what is the one – BK loss that keeps you up at night. For me, it's the Georgia road game. You know, we, we chatted about this a little bit the other day. For me, it's still Miami 2017. That's the, you know, that's, um, that's, that's a deal for me. I, I'm going to disagree with Bacchus Thompson on this one. 215, we had a bunch of key injuries on defense and off-field violations that had key defensive players off the field. Van Gorder can't be the sole blame for that. No, not th- th- that's not accurate. The only defensive injuries they had that year is Jerron Jones, who got hurt in fall camp, Sean Crawford, who was a true freshman, and then they lost um, uh, they lost Drew Tranquil in like the third or fourth game. No, Brian Van Roo couldn't absolutely be blamed for that. The violate off the field violations that was 2014. That was not 2013. Those guys were kicked off the 2014 team. In 2015, they had Kavari Russell back. Kavari Russell was part of that team in 2015. They, he was a starter on the 2015 team. So the off-field violations for that. I, I'm absolutely going to to blame Brian Van Gorder for losing the Stanford game. I'm going to absolutely blame Brian Van Gorder for allowing BC to rip off a couple big plays late in the game. And the other part of that is, is that team overcame a lot of his mistakes. Jalen Smith erased a bunch of Brian Van Gorder's mistakes that year. I don't blame Brian Van Gorder for losing the Clemson game. I think that was more of an offensive an offensive situation. But at the same time, I've always contended that Clemson probably scores a lot more than 24 points if that's a dry field. Deshaun Watson threw for like 91 yards that game. Does anyone think Deshaun Watson only throws for 91 yards if it's not a monsoon? And I was there. Clemson was not even trying to throw the ball in that game. Jay Clamp and Investments has a more accurate opinion of this. Brian Kelly's biggest failure was Brian Van Gorder. He should be charged with crimes against humanity for wasting Jalen Smith's abilities. Can't disagree with you on that one. Michael Morris, I uh, we already have that one. So let's see here. Tommy Leonard, what about comparing his staffs to those of Kirby, Riley, and those guys? I, again, I'll put Notre Dame staff up against anybody's outside of Alabama and Clemson. And, and even in some areas, I'll take them over Clemson's because, again, especially defensively, Notre Dame's got some really good football coaches. And defensively, I think I, I really like it. Look, I think Kirby has really good recruiters. I don't think Kirby has a bunch of great assistant coaches. I think he has a bunch of great recruiters. Uh, Lincoln Riley's got a, go, a really good staff, but there's also some areas where, you know, I think their coaching hasn't been great. Defensively, they haven't been great. Alex Grinch is getting there. They have one of the best, if not the best, offensive line coach in the country, in my opinion. But – They've got some areas where their staff needs to be upgraded as well. So this isn't a unique thing just to Brian Kelly. Jack Foote says, does Tommy Reese have the authority to hire and fire assistant coaches or at least try to light a fire underneath them with a serious discussion? Hire and fire, no. That's That has been and always will be a Brian Kelly thing. Now, Brian Kelly, and from what I have been told, especially in recent years, has allowed his coordinators, at least, well, let me rephrase that. He's allowed his defensive coordinators to have a say in who gets hired. He allowed Chip Long to bring in Dell Alexander. Chip Long did not have any say on what the rest of the staff looked like, and he had no say on who the offensive line coach was that was going to replace Harry Heastand. But Clark Lee had a say on coaching situations, and he has allowed Marcus Freeman to have a say. If Marcus Freeman didn't want 
Chris O'Leary to be the safeties coach, Chris O'Leary wouldn't be the safeties coach from what I'm told. And, and so I, I, he is doing that more on defense. Now, hi, that's that's the hiring part. But ultimately, ultimately, Brian Kelly has the final decision. He allows those guys to have a say. It's still Brian Kelly's decision. But could Tommy Reese light a fire underneath the coach? I honestly, I, I don't know enough about that. I would imagine so. I would imagine that he would have that authority to kind of go in there and say to an assistant coach, like, hey, man, you're not getting the job done. You need to get this thing going. I don't know if he's done that or not, but I would imagine so. Most coordinators do have that ability. And I think that I think that the other coaches know the affinity that Brian Kelly has for Tommy Reese. So it's not like if you're mad at Tommy Reese, you can go to the head coach and complain about it, right? It's like, okay, well, this is what the guy wants me to do. I need to go get it done. Uh, and, I, and I would hope that Tommy Reese would um, – I would hope that Kelly, Coach Reese would have the – I mean, you, you ha- when you're 28, 29 years old, you, there, you have to be careful about you know how you treat a coach who's been around such a long time. But that doesn't mean you can't sit down and have some stern conversations. And I think there's a couple coaches on the staff he needs to have some stern conversations with, in my opinion. Jeff Luke says, I feel like Brian Kelly does make correct adjustments. It just takes him a little longer. I mean, I, mean, I think it's a subjective. I you know, I mean, to me, I think do you, we'd have to say, well, how does that stack up compared to other coaches? And, and again, I think Brian Kelly's a good in-game coach. I think the, the issues in Notre Dame have had in these big games have been about the plans going into the game, not necessarily what happens during the game. Elijah Mills says, one thing I like about Ryan Day so far is this team is more disciplined and prepared to play against lower-level teams compared to where Urban was there. Yeah, that's absolutely right, because if you think about it, uh, uh, to Elijah's point, in 2018 – which is Urban's last year, they got smacked by a Purdue. I think Purdue went like six and seven that year, um, at best seven and six, and they got smacked by him. The year before that, they lost Oklahoma at home, and they got crushed on the road against Iowa. They had no point. They had no business losing either one of those games. I think this this Ohio State team under Ryan Day, to your point, Elijah, is a very steady team, and their bad days are still wins because at least offensively, they're still ready to roll. Their offense, their offense was really up and down. They would show up and be great some games, and other games they didn't show up at all. And it was very, very puzzling. And that is, I'm with you, that is something that I very much like. Connor Patton, appreciate the super chat, my friend. Appreciate your support to the channel. What did State Saban do staff-wise that other programs like, say, Texas didn't do? Well, I don't know if he did anything staff-wise. You know, look, the thing about Saban is it's about accountability. And with Nick Saban, it's look, you know, you need to do the job or you're gone after a year. You got to recruit your butt off. You got to coach your butt off. It's, 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 he's not hiring friends and then letting them do a bad job. He could be your, you know, your, your best friend in the whole world. If you don't get the job done, you're, you're not going to be there anymore. So I think number one, it's about accountability. Number two, it's about setting the standard. Nick Saban, up until I think recently, always coached a position. He coached corners. So he was there every day. He recruits. Uh, you know, he's around. And and so there's a level of accountability at that program that, that you don't have. Plus he's really smart. I mean, look, this isn't just about him hiring great coaching staffs. This is about Nick Saban being a great coach. Let's not forget Nick Saban won a national title before he got to Alabama. He won a national title at LSU. And I would argue he kind of won two national titles at LSU. Cause I think Les Miles national title in 07 was more about the foundation that, that, uh, that Nick Saban laid, but I, I think he's a tremendous coach. I think he is a great motivator. I think he's great at having the entire year planned out to where you're always building towards certain things. I think he and he mastered the process. And I've always said that your, your, your program needs to be, to be geared towards 
evaluating yourself and holding yourself up to a standard that is more process oriented rather than results oriented. And Alabama has always been great about that. I mean, I've seen Nick Saban rip his team after three touchdown victories because it wasn't about the score. It was about, we have a standard for how we play, how we execute our physicality, our focus. And we didn't meet that standard today, but coach won by 21. I don't care that we beat Vanderbilt by 30. That's not who we're evaluating ourselves against. We have a standard at the University of Alabama, and and I think that has been such a, an amazing thing, and everybody is held to that standard, everybody. And and if you don't meet that standard, whether you're a player or a coach or anything, then you're not there. And so good hires is part of it, Connor, but the other part of it is you have a guy at the very top that knows what he's doing at an elite level and holds everyone to 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 the to that same standard on a daily basis, and that's a big part of it. Liam Gaming says, "It seems to me the next head coach is going to be a very happy guy. Should have a ton of talent due to upswing in recruiting. Not the usual circumstances. Will be a very appealing job. I agree." John Rich says, "Of all college head coaching positions, where would you rank the Notre Dame head coaching position?" John, that's a good question. And I think that answer is different now than it was when Brian Kelly got hired. I don't think Notre Dame was a top 10 job anymore when Brian Kelly got hired. And, and I think the fact that they had such a hard time hiring coaches before that is an example of that. I think now, John, I have to look at it. I think now Notre Dame is a top five to eight job right now. No question about it because it pays very well. And again, for all the people that think Brian Kelly only makes a million dollars, that is just his salary, first of all he makes a lot more money than people think that he does because how you put together the compensation package is different from school to school. Uh, and, and Notre Dame does theirs different than other schools where the, the school technically says, you know, they claim the entire salary. So it's a little different situation, but they pay very well. They, they've invested in paying more for coaches. The facilities are much better now. I think Alabama is a great job. I think Texas is a great job. I think Ohio State's a great job. I think Oklahoma's a great job. I don't think USC's as great of a job as people think it is. I think the Notre Dame job is a better job than USC. Everybody focuses on all the recruiting. There's a lot of headaches that come with being at USC. And uh, and also, you make $6 million at USC, it's not going to go as far as four four and a half five million dollars in South Bend, Indiana is going to go either. That's the other thing that kind of factors into that. But, you know, to me, John, I'd have to sit back and think about it, but I think it's now a five to eight job, and I'd probably lean towards it being a, a top five job now. And again, a lot of that has to do with what Brian Kelly has done and what Jack Swarbrick has done. It's a far, far more attractive job. And here's the other thing, too, is if Brian Kelly retires in 2021 to the point that Liam made right before you, John, coaches are going to look around and say, well, I'm walking into a pretty good situation. And let's be honest. If you win a title at Notre Dame, you're a legend. One, you don't have to win multiple, right? At Alabama, you got to win a bunch of titles to be a legend. And Notre Dame, you win one, you're a Hall of Famer. I mean, look at Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz won one title in 11 years, and and he's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, and, and he's a legend at Notre Dame. So I, I think it's one of those things where now, who if Brian Kelly walked away at the end of the 2021 season, teams are going to look at this and say, great facilities. There's a lot of good coaches there that I could hope to keep and a really talented roster. They pay really well. Facilities are great. 
yeah, let's let's do it. And and so I, I think that he has made this a much, much better job than it was before he was hired. Much better job than he was before he was hired. <laughs> Tommy, I'm not gonna play, I'm not gonna show your comment about Herpin. <laughs> Technical technician, Nuke Rockney was the original Nick Saban of recruiting, period. Uh here, let's see here. Liam Gaming says, if you pull out 1977 year on Divine, the record is mediocre. Lots of air recruits on that roster, and even some even played on on 73 team, i.e. Ross Brown and Luther Bradley at all a bunch of three loss seasons. I, and that's what, I agree with you. I really do. I, that's why I say I would not automatically have Dan Devine there unless you're someone who, who national championships trumps everything. I'm not one of those people. I think national championships are very important, but to me – I would not have built a Dan Devine statue. I'm sorry. I don't think a ch- title should automatically get you a statue. I think it's about a level of greatness. Lou Holtz was a great coach. Notre Dame was dominant for a six-year period. Notre Dame was Clemson, essentially. And Miami was Alabama. I mean, you think about it. From 1987 to, I believe, 1990, 1990, Miami won three titles, right? A7, 88, 90, 91. So 91. During that stretch, I believe Miami won three titles. The only two years they didn't win a title were years Notre Dame beat them. And that's 88 and 90. And, and so that they were Miami, Alabama, and Clemson of 87, of 88 to 93. That's that's who Notre Dame was. Devine had one great year. Leahy had great periods. Rockney had great periods. Coach Parsegian had su- sustained success over a period of time. Dan Devine had one great team. And to your point, there's some Hall of Famers on that team, right? And, and so, and he inherited a pretty great situation. So that's why I would not have Dan Devine there because to me, it's a lot more, um, a, a lot more than just just winning championships. That's a, a huge part of it, but just winning one championship when the rest of your record is just kind of, eh, you know, I can't do it. See some art debating going on here. I'm going to try to get down to some questions. <laughs> technical technician uh, does not like Brian Kelly's motivational speeches. And, and I have to say, I, I agree with you. John uh, says, seems BK is sometimes too loyal to some assistant coaches and keeps them when they should be let go when a better replacement is available. I, I agree. I agree. All righty. Let's get down to here. Some more questions. <laughs> not, not a lot of people of uh, uh, fans of, of coach Kelly's pregame speeches. Uh, Michael Moore says BK is doing more with top 10 classes than USC, Georgia, Florida, and Miami with top five classes. I would agree with that. Tommy Leonard, over under on BK bringing Ian Book in as quarterback coach, set in two and a half years as long as BK is still there. Uh, under, it's not happening. Uh, n- not happening. And I also think Liam Book, Ian Book is going to be in the NFL for at least a couple seasons for sure. Um, Liam Gaming, here we go. A little, little off topic. Uh, over under on sacks this year at 45. I'm going to go under. 45 is a lot of sacks, but I think that they're going to get. I think they're going to get close to uh, at least over 35. I think they're going to set a Notre Dame record under Brian Kelly, and I think which I think is like 31 and 34 maybe. I think they're going to pass that. Okay, let's see here. John says Lou was robbed of one title in 1993. Hey, look, beat Boston College and it's not an issue, right? You have to handle your business. Let's see here. Uh, last couple questions, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, 
And then John also falls up and maybe two titles if you include the clipping call on Rockets run back against Colorado. You know, I'm going to have to remember that. That was 1990, right? Um, I'm going to have to pull that up because with Notre Dame, I know they beat – I know that they beat um, Colorado. I, I got to go back and remember that one. Would they have – would they have won the title that year? Who won that? So Colorado and Georgia Tech tied. Georgia Tech was 11-0-1, right? Then Notre Dame going into that game. Let's see here. Notre Dame had one loss, correct? Uh, Notre Dame was ranked number five going into that game. Nah, 90, nah, they had two losses that year, John. They had lost to Stanford, and they had lost to Penn State. Now, they were up to number five, but I don't know if they jumped all the way up to number one. I think you might have seen Georgia Tech win it outright that year because Georgia Tech was undefeated. Not that they beat anybody great that year, but they did smack Nebraska in the Citrus Bowl. It wasn't a great Nebraska team. But, yeah, I don't think they'd have won at 90 on the, the clipping call because uh, they had they had two losses that season. So I must somewhat disagree with you on that one a little bit. All right, let's get back to the last couple questions. Um, yeah, and that's what Robert says. Georgia Tech would have won total. Yeah, because they were undefeated. Notre Dame – uh, titles what he meant to say Notre Dame had two losses already that year I don't think they would have jumped all they might have jumped up to like maybe number two or three but I don't think they would have I don't think they would have jumped up to number one Liam says uh no, Lou never seen this he's seen the same after 1993 I, I agree with that I think that was sort of the beginning of of the end for Notre Dame that was just that was yeah I would agree with that Chris Ayer says, was Lou's 1989 schedule the toughest in the history of Notre Dame? What did they beat? Nine, five or six conference champs? Yeah, so um, that was the thing that uh, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and they were talking about – it was about um, Ian Book and, and his 30 and 5, and, and I was trying to make the point that I don't think people understand just how many how many ranked teams that that, that Notre Dame beat in, 2000, in, 2000, uh, in 1989. So just off the time of the, the the where they were ranked at the time that they played, so they beat. Uh, you look at that eighty nine team. Notre Dame beat Michigan, who at the time was ranked second and finished seventh. They beat Michigan State, who finished sixteenth. That's two ranked teams. They beat. Uh, let's see here. Stanford was not ranked. They beat Air Force that year, who was ranked in the top twenty five, did not finish ranked. They beat USC, who uh, finished eighth that year, so it's, and also won the Pac-12. They beat Pittsburgh that season, who finished seventeenth. Beat Pittsburgh, by the way. Pitt was ranked seventh at the time. Notre Dame beat them forty-five to seven. Pitt finished that year uh, ranked seventeenth. They beat Navy and SMU, who did not. They beat Penn State, who finished fifteenth that year. They beat them by eleventh on the road. And then they beat Colorado, who at the time was ranked number one and finished four. So if I'm looking at this correctly, they had one, two, three, three wins over top 10 teams. Also beat number 15, number 17, number 16 that season. That's um that's that's more top, that's more top 25 wins in one year than a lot of programs have over multiple years. I mean, think about it. The four-year stretch that Notre Dame has right now, 43-8, and eight, they have 10 wins over ranked opponents. Notre Dame, by my count that year, had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wins over top 25 teams that season alone. They had over 10. They actually they had 11 if you count the 88 season. So yeah, that was an incredibly, incredibly challenging schedule. 
Uh, let's see here. Anything else? Um, oh, here's a, here's a couple came in after as I was looking that stuff up. John says, I thought they were 11 and one. No, that was, uh, that was 89 team was 11 and one going to the bowl game and they beat Colorado. That was a year that they, that, uh, Colorado was number one and they actually got Notre Dame beating Colorado allowed Miami to win the national title that year because Miami had lost, uh, Miami had lost to Florida state by two touchdowns. Colorado was number one. So Notre Dame beating Colorado allowed Miami to win the national championship that year. In 1990, Notre Dame went nine and nine and three, and then in 1991, Notre Dame went nine and uh, ten and three, and then in 1992, Notre Dame went ten one and one. So no, they they were not eleven and one. You're thinking, I think you're thinking of the '89 season. Nineteen, in your opinion, was 1992 Lou Holtz's most talented team? Ooh, boy. I've heard that argument before, and it's hard for me to disagree with you. I mean, when you think about, because I'd say like the the '88 team was probably, I mean, I I really like that team's talent. I mean, especially defensively, but a lot of your best offensive players were freshmen and sophomores. You know, Ricky Waters, I think, was a sophomore. Rocket was a freshman. Derek Brown was a freshman. You had kind of a revamped offensive line. You know, 1992, you had the number two draft pick at quarterback. You had two first round, well, a first round pick and a second round pick at running back. Uh, was there Irv Smith? Was on that? Was the tight end on that team? I believe correct. Wasn't he a first round pick? You had Aaron Taylor. You had Bryant Young, Jeff. Bur- oh man, yeah, that team was loaded. I'd say yeah, that's probably that's probably Kelly's best team, most talented team. And I think by the end of the year, they were pretty much playing like it. You know, they they. Uh, they they tied Michigan in game two, and then October third is the fifth game of the year. Lost to Stanford thirty three and sixteen, which was a bad loss. Then they finished the year, beat Pitt fifty two twenty one, beat BYU forty two to sixteen, beat Navy thirty eight seven, beat number nine Boston College fifty four to seven, beat Penn State who was number twenty two at the time seventeen sixteen. That was a snowball, if you remember correctly. Uh, Penn State finished that year unranked, but at the time they were ranked, and then they beat USC on the road 31 to 23 and then played number four, Texas A&M in a cotton bowl, beat them 28 to three. So yeah, that was a, a, they finished the year on a, on a very strong note after a starting three, one and one. So yeah, I, I'd have to say, I'd have to say you're, you're right there, Robert. I'd, I'd have to give that edge to, to that team. <laughs> Tommy says, I'm part of the elite illustrious group that made Brian laugh and didn't get the comment shown. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be nice today to coach Kelly. So I didn't want to put that in there. Uh, let's see here. Dynasty ISP says, I think coach Holtz is the only coach to beat three top 10 teams in a row. I wouldn't surprise me. I think LSU had a really impressive stretch of beating top 10 teams or not, maybe not in a row, but in 2000, when LSU won the title in 19, I think they beat like five top 10 teams, teams that finished ranked in the top 10, which is super impressive. S says coach, uh, Tom Loy recently put a crystal ball in for, I imagine that's Nick Anderson. Do you like that take? Percy, I hope they hold off on taking his commitment until they strike out on Green, Williams, Merriweather. Uh, so for me, I would not take Nick Anderson right now. Um, I would take Xavion Bradshaw and Tobias Merriweather and C.J. Williams would be the only takes for me. Uh, if they if they, uh, if they they go – I mean, if they're going to take four receivers, again, I still wouldn't do it. If you say, hey, look, they're going to take four receivers, no, because then I say, then get Williams, Merriweather, and Bradshaw. 
I think the fact that Notre Dame right now is prioritizing Nick Anderson over Xavion Bradshaw is very concerning for me. I'm going to have an article about this. We'll probably do a podcast about this this week too, where I'm going to talk about receiver recruiting. So I'm not going to get too much into it. Um, but yeah, and they're, they're not really recruiting Andre Green anymore. And he wasn't super interested in them either. So uh, John says, my memory is not as good as loose emojis. Hey, John, welcome to the club. When it comes to Notre Dame history, nobody's memory is like Lou's. And that's what would have made this show so much fun to do with Lou. This, the, Lou, this would have been a, a great, great show to have done with him because he'd be able to give me context about Jesse Harper and, and Elmer Layden and all those kind of things. It would have been a, a ton of fun to do a show with him. Uh, it's just one of the many reasons why, why I miss him. So uh, Tommy says he's going to save his question for Friday. Am I missing a question, Tommy? Did you ask me a different question that I, that I missed? If so, before I, I sign off here, throw it in there again and, and I'll answer it. I, I There was a lot of debating going on there that I kind of passed through, so perhaps I missed your question. Jay Clampett Investments says, Fantasy What If? How different would Notre, have Notre Dame been had Randy Moss not made it? Oh, man. All right, so this is – I'm definitely in the minority here, okay? But I have felt all along that if Randy Moss would have come to Notre Dame, Lou Holtz would have won another national championship. I believe that wholeheartedly because he'd have been on the team in what, 94, 95, and 96, right? Notre Dame had some decent teams then. They went eight and three and nine and three in back to back years. I think one of the things that hurt them is Ron Paulus was running an offense that was not geared for him. And you'd have put Randy Moss and Derek Mays on the same receiving core. That team would have scored a ton of points. And remember, James Jackson was also, part to, was also supposed to be part of that recruiting class. He went to Miami and ended up being a pretty good running back at Miami. He was also supposed to be a part of that class, and he got he got booted from the class as well. So that was a a very very that would have and and I think Ron, our view of Ron Paulus would be so much different now if Randy Moss would have made it to Notre Dame. Oh my goodness, it, it, that would have been <laughs> that have been fun to watch. That have been a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, there's no way to prove that in any way. But um, uh, you know, I I just think that that would have been. That would have been. And I also think that Randy Moss would have been a bit of a ringleader. I think that would have helped Notre Dame's recruiting because a lot of dudes would have wanted to play with Randy Moss. I, I really believe that. So, um, you know, never know, but I, I think so. That, that'll be fun. All right. S says, uh, Coach, do you plan on doing videos like the QB receiver recruit breakdowns and what you look for at the, def- the for the uh, on defensive position groups as well? Yeah. So, S, we're doing cornerbacks tom- uh, tomorrow night. So, we're going to do. I wanted to do 2023 quarterbacks was just about, I'd been getting a ton of questions about 23 quarterbacks. So I really wanted to do one on them. I wanted to do one on receivers because I had been kind of teasing the receiver breakdown for a while. I'm going to have my wide receiver big board coming out tomorrow. So check that out. That's going to be on the website at irishbreakdown.com. But we're going to go cornerbacks this week. And I think the following week, I'm I'm looking at possibly doing either linebackers or safeties. So we're going to do linebackers and we're going to do defense for these next couple. Um, might might do we may end up doing a couple um, during the week where maybe we take a couple nights where we do some recruiting or maybe I might do a, a a big board type of one during the week like during one of the shows that Vince can't be a part of because I want to get a lot of these 2022 breakdowns done before visits. So because I just for me I look at it. And I say that I like to have my rankings out before guys commit. And I feel like if, if I have some out before guys commit, it's going to, it's going to appear more objective, even though my ranking doesn't change when guys commit or not, but it'll at least 
it'll at least appear more uh, objective to where, and it gives more context. So like when they get so-and-so, you know, Hey, they got offensive lineman a, well, where did he rank? You know, and, Oh, they got so-and-so receiver. Well, where did he rank? And it just gives more context in my opinion to where a player was on that board. John says, no doubt about Randy Moss and winning a national championship. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Black Rush says, I believe start Jack Cohn. He's better than people think. He can open up the offense if Coach Kelly lets him ball out. I agree with you on that one. I absolutely agree with you on that one. Uh, Tommy Leonard says, another natty and probably less of a spiral thereafter in regards to getting Randy Moss. That's another thing I didn't think about is, does Bob Davey replace Lou Holtz if Randy Moss is there and Notre Dame is winning? I don't know. I don't know if he does. Keegan McLaughlin says, if you were the Notre Dame coach, who would you fill your staff with? Okay. So I think a lot of the coaches I I like, I would, I would still have Marcus Freeman. I'd still have Mike, uh, defensive staff I'm fine with. Uh, Lance Taylor running back, I'm cool with. John McNulty, tight ends coach, I'm cool with. I would have a come to Jesus moment with Dell Alexander. And if I didn't like what I saw out of that, I'd, I'd probably, uh, replace him with a different O-line coach or a receiver coach. And I would have, when Harry Heastan left, I would have hired um, uh, Joe Gilbert as the offensive line coach, who is now the offensive line coach, was the offensive line coach this past season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who just drafted Robert Hainsey. So that's to say it's close. And Tommy Reese would, would be coaching my quarterbacks. I, I really like Tom Reese's potential. Uh, but if I was head coach, I'd be the offensive coordinator because that's just – who I am. So <laughs> that's, I'm kidding, obviously, but um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the staff is close to being where it needs to be. There's just a couple upgrades need to happen. And sometimes, Hey, look, sometimes upgrades happen without firing anybody because someone who has potential, who you're, who's not living up to that potential, you sit them down and you say, Hey, look, this is what we need from you. And you get them to where they need to be. And I think that's what needs to happen. Um, in my opinions. Uh, Michael Morris reading the comments is a show all by itself. You're absolutely right about that. So let's see. If we got anything else in here before we go. Uh, okay. Caleb Collins is getting ready to get banned. Caleb says I'm late, but the best coach at Notre Dame is definitely Brian Van Gorder, Ty Willingham, obviously a joke, but yes, we're, we're going to go ahead and cancel you, Caleb. That's, um, you just, you stepped over the line, my friend, you're a habitual line stepper and we cannot, we cannot have that. Uh, so, um, oh, here it goes. Uh, Tommy Leonard says if coaching correlated to politics, which football coach would you pick to run for and win in 2024? Well, if coaching was related to politics then it would be, it would depend on, um, which coach could raise the most money and figure out the best. Um, I'm not going to say my next comment, but yeah, it's nothing like politics. I think if I were to do it, I would say, you know, again, it, it just depends on what is Notre Dame situation like that in 24 is Notre Dame kind of peaked and they're on their way down. Then I think you'll go outside. If Notre Dame is humming and rolling along, you're either going to replace them with somebody on staff or you're going to bring somebody back. So let's say after 2022, you know, Notre Dame has a great year. The next two years, Marcus Freeman is somewhere else. Maybe you bring him back or something like that. But I think it just, it'd just it be really hard to shake things up if Notre Dame is still winning. So it's – look, look, here's the deal, Tommy. I can't really answer that question because if you want to talk like politics, okay, in 2024, we're not going to really know – There's, I mean, okay, what's the economy like? What's the job situation like? Is there another pandemic situation that, that we saw shake up the last election? 
there's so many things that are going to, you know, is there a war? I mean, there's so many different things that factor into whether or not a president does or doesn't win an election that looking at it two, three years down the road, it's impossible, right? And it's the same thing at Notre Dame if you want to correlate it to politics, which is we don't know what the circumstances at Notre Dame are going to be like when Brian Kelly leaves. So we can't then say, well, this is who's going to take the job because we don't know the circumstances are going to go into that job. If you just said, okay, who's going to replace Charlie Weiss after the 2006 season, your opinions would have been a whole lot different than they actually were three years later. Uh, so so that that's kind of how I look at it. So anyway, so that is, that is it for today's show. I appreciate everybody being with us. Remember, before you leave, please hit the like button on this show. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to IrishBreakdown.com and then hit the notification bell so that way you can always be notified of our daily shows, which are at 1 o'clock during Monday to Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern, and then we will have our Wednesday night 8 p.m. show. May throw a couple more in here between now uh, and uh, and these next couple weeks before the visits really, really ramp up. And uh, and make sure you join us. We're gonna have, Vince will be back with us tomorrow and Thursday, so we're going to talk Notre Dame football. Uh, starting Memorial Day, Monday Memorial Day, I'm actually going to kick off our sort of our preseason look at Notre Dame. So we're going to have sort of a 2021 expectations. That's when we're going to kick off our written position previews. I'm going to actually have a player profile for every Notre Dame player kind of reviewing the past season, talk about expectations, talk about potential, uh, what their role may be, what they got to do to start, what they got to do to become a great player, if they're already a starter, all those types of things. So we'll roll one or two of those out a day. You know, start getting back in. You know, we'll have recruiting coming up. So a lot going on. So make sure you stay locked in IrishBreakdown.com. And the best way to do that is to, at the in, below, in the description button of this podcast, you'll see a link, obviously, to the website. But at the bottom, you'll see a link to our daily newsletter. It is a free daily newsletter. So it, essentially every morning, almost every morning, you will get a email with the five top stories from the day before in it. Uh, so make sure that you uh, you do that. And that's the best way to keep involved in it. And then if there's a commitment after the stories are published and we've got them out on all the social channels, I will then send out an email with the uh, commit story and the class impact story of that commitment. So you also get it that way as well. So make sure you sign up for the Notre Dame newsletter, the Irish Breakdown Notre Dame Football Newsletter. Um, our merch store is very close to being done. I really hope that we're going to have that launched by the end of the week. Obviously, this is one of my new hats. Yesterday, you saw the polo. Um, so we have three different types of hats. We have a visor. We have a beanie because somebody had mentioned, you know, since there's people living in Indiana, I have a beanie. I have a coffee mug. I have a couple of different hoodies. And we have gap closer gear. We are able to design some gear with gap closers on it, which people talked about. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, yeah, so a, a lot going on. So I'm hoping that we'll have that here to you all uh, by the end of the week. That's my goal. So uh, uh, don't hold me to that because it's not at this point in time. There's still some things I got to get done. I'm not sure how long it's going to take. But I think right now we'll be able to have it by the end of the week. So thanks for joining me today. Check out irishbreakdown.com. Like, subscribe, notification bell. Have a great day. I'll talk to you all again tomorrow.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.